The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Good, good. It's good to be back. Good to be back in the pulpit this morning. Um, we've had quite an eventful summer. Um, you might, some of you might know that uh, Laura and I did a little bit of traveling in May. And then uh, just past, this past week, we got to go see our nephews out in uh, Missouri. So that was really great over the 4th. And uh, you may have also noticed that it's been a pretty eventful summer at the Springs thus far. Uh, especially a few days ago, closing on that building. How about that? Very exciting. I've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time out at the building, especially lately as it's been emptied, and uh, I'm just I'm getting really excited to uh, brainstorm and look ahead and to pray with all of you and to see what God has in store for us at this new location, because I, I really think it's going to be good things for his kingdom. And so if you were, if you were gone last Sunday, we are in the second week of a new sermon series called The Word of the Lord. And Ben kicked things off last week, and so if you were here, you probably know that uh, we'll be spending the next eight weeks preaching scriptures from the Revised Common Lectionary. And as Ben said, this is a, a collection of scriptures um, brought together by different denominations across denominations with the intent of keeping the church introduced to wider swaths of the Bible than we're normally used to engaging, than just kind of going to our favorite verses here and there. So each week there's a gospel passage, there's an epistle, there's a psalm, and there's an Old Testament text. And so we're going to be spending time in all of those, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this series and also what we have beyond it. Um, and so this morning, in fact, we are in the Gospels. And the gospel text provided by the lectionary for this morning was Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, and verses 25 through 30. Uh, so we're going to continue the, the tradition that Ben started last week of reading the text. And after I finish reading through it, I'm going to say the word of the Lord. And then if you all will respond together, thanks be to God. So let's go ahead and begin in Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 16, where Jesus says this. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, 
All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning in gratitude. Gratitude for your mercies that are new every morning. And gratitude for your spirit, God, that we believe is with us and will guide us as we seek to hear a word from you today. God, I pray for the words, pray for the gift of preaching, and for your spirit to guide us into your gospel truth faithfully. We worship you and love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Call it wisdom, call it common sense, but my dad and his childhood friend Danny did not have it. Danny's parents were out of town. They had left town, and it was the summer, it was the end of August 1968, and Danny's parents had told him to get rid of this cornfield that was in the back of their house, in their backyard, basically to turn under the cornfield is what they said, Uh, which if you're not from rural areas, that's to till up the corn, to dig it out, to get rid of it. And so Danny had recruited my dad, they were 14 years old, and instead though, instead of using a shovel or a till to get rid of this cornfield, Danny had decided to go a different direction. And so my dad stepped back and watched as Danny walked row by row through the cornfield with a canister of gas. Dousing the corn, it gets good. Dousing the corn and and drenching row by row by row, and Danny walks all the way through, and my dad's just standing there, not really saying a thing, and he gets to the end of it, and he lights a match, and it explodes. The flames shoot out so powerfully, almost knocking them back onto their backs. The, The flames shoot so high and so brilliantly that it takes two minutes before they hear the sirens. (laughs) And in come the police officers, and in come the firemen, and in come people coming out of the woodwork from around the neighborhood to see these two 14-year-old kids standing there with this fire. And and the story basically ends with my dad talking to a police officer who, uh, who says, hey, I need your name. And my dad says, well, do you have to tell my mom? Yes, he replied, to which my dad responded, I think I'd rather go to jail. (laughs) So it would have only taken just a mustard seed of wisdom to avoid this kind of situation. It, It would have taken the smallest little amount, but instead my dad wound up spending the rest of his sophomore year of high school that summer going to bed at 8.30, grounded, for the rest of the time, and it was just, it was a catastrophe, a corn-tastrophe. Um, sorry. Boo. Boo, that's right, I deserve that, I deserve that. <laughs> I've never been booed up here before. <laughs> that's good, I made it a year, two years, so, oh, that's good. Uh, but I, 
I want to talk about that wisdom this morning, or lack thereof. And I think our text is actually kind of framed in these terms. And so I want to talk about it in context of three different kinds of wisdom, in fact. And that's worldly wisdom, religious wisdom, and gospel wisdom. Worldly wisdom, religious wisdom, and gospel wisdom. So let's take a look again at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 11 together. Where Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? And I want to focus in on this for a second because Jesus is talking about his contemporaries, but he's actually giving a specific flavor with the words, this generation. He's actually bringing us back to a generation of Israelites wandering around the wilderness. And that you might know from the Old Testament, these, these Israelites, and it was a generation referred to as faithless, as evil, sinful, perverse, and crooked. And so, so what we need to recognize here is that when Jesus says this generation, he's not just talking about chronology, he's also talking about character. He's talking about, yes, some people who were born in a specific period of time, a specific generation, but he's also talking about the quality of their character. Um, you know, we might actually compare this phrase to the way that we use the word millennial. You know, you, you might, uh, you, you think that millennial has a chronology to it, and it does. It talks about people born during a specific time, but there's also an aspect of character when you use the word millennial, right? Because maybe, maybe some of you have a small business and you've employed some millennials and they're great, hard workers, so you think positively. Maybe you're with some other people who say the word millennial in kind of a pejorative way and you kind of picture somebody that maybe looks like me and <laughs> is holding a participation trophy or something. So, <laughs> so, so basically, uh, when Jesus says this generation... It's not just a chronology. There's, there's a character aspect to it. And, and, you know, it's not just, you know, Grandpa Jesus talking about kids these days, though. Because he, he's connecting this to a specific idea of a generation that was unbelieving. A generation that saw the mighty acts of God's salvation, that saw him work in Egypt, saw him work in the wilderness, and yet still continued to grumble still continued to complain, and still continued to refuse to believe. And so that is what Jesus is saying when he says, this generation, and let's, let's continue forward, because he says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And as I was reading through the, the lectionary text provided for this week, and I got to these verses, I heard something that sounded so familiar. I heard in these voices the, the division, the confusion, and the clamor of our cultural moment. I heard the dissonance of worldly wisdom, of we played the pipe for you and you refused to dance. We, uh, we sang a dirge and you refused to mourn. 
or we posted this article and you refused to click. We retweeted this take and you didn't like. And I hear in these voices in the children in the marketplace the demands of our own marketplace. We, we dropped this album and you didn't listen. We released this product and you didn't buy. And I hear the incoherence and the contradiction and the confluence of our worldly wisdom. If John abstains from this, he's got a demon. Jesus hangs out with them, sinner. And in the voices of the children, the voices of Jesus' generation, I hear the voice of our own. And this is where the problem lies. The problem of Jesus' generation, the problem of our own generation, is that worldly wisdom is liquefied. Worldly wisdom shifts and changes with the tides. It's advancing and receding, rising and falling, emptying and filling. It surrounds us and crashes in on us like a thousand different drops of rain, calling us to dance, calling us to mourn, calling us too holy, calling us profane. In, in the terminology of, of Charles Taylor, our secular ages is cross-pressurized. You know, it's, it's, there are these numerous wisdoms and ideologies and criticisms kind of closing in from everywhere like a basement flooding from all corners of the foundation. And in fact, uh, Maria Popova, she spells out the particular difficulty of wisdom within the digital age. She writes, we live in a world awash with information, but we seem to face a growing scarcity of wisdom. And what's worse, we confuse the two. We believe that having access to more information produces more knowledge, which results in more wisdom, but if anything, the opposite is true. More and more information without the proper context and interpretation only muddles our understanding of the world rather than enriching it. This is the confused, cross-pressurized liquidation of worldly wisdom. It's liquefied. But that's not the only option on the table. It's not the only option in our world. It's not the only option in our text. And the next one that I want to talk about from our text this morning is religious wisdom. Look, look at Jesus' words in both verses 25 and verse 28. It says, At that time Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And then he says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has no easy words for the religious folk of his day, or the, the wise and intelligent, as he refers to them here in verse 25. But he's also referencing them in verse 28. Did you notice that? He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. This is a very specific burden that he's talking about. He's talking about the burden of the law. 
It's talking about the yoke of the law and specifically about these, these heavy legalistic burdens laid on the people by the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the very people that Jesus calls out later in Matthew, in chapter 23, verse 4. He says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. And in Matthew 15, he says this of them. He says, you've nullified the word of God on account of your tradition. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what we find is that if worldly wisdom is liquefied, Religious wisdom is calcified. When something is calcified, it becomes hardened. It becomes insoluble or unable to be dissolved. And we see this with with the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tying up these these heavy burdens of tradition, these, these heavy dogmatisms, these deposits of calcium, loading them on the backs of the people and refusing to lift a finger to help them. And so perhaps this is why Jesus says the kingdom of God remains hidden to these scribes and Pharisees. Their hearts are too hard. Their minds are too fixed, too calcified. And God has hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Uh, my sister-in-law, Kendall, just earned her doctorate in neuropsychology, speaking of wise and intelligent, but positively. And I was talking with her recently about this concept of neuroplasticity, which is a crazy big word, but it's basically just talking about the ability of the brain as it grows and changes to to kind of reorganize itself, um, to, to reorganize its synapses and adapt. And of course, the human brain continues to change all the way through adulthood. It never stops changing. But the plasticity of the brain is much, much greater in infants and children. You know, infants and children have this incredible, this profound mental flexibility and adaptability. And I think this actually speaks to Jesus' metaphor here. You know, that in in order to, to break through the calcified traditions of religious wisdom, in order to flip the world on its head and enter the kingdom of God, one must become like a child. The wisdom of God is revealed to those who have not been calcified, but to those who are infants. As Jonathan Merritt asks, how else can one visualize, much less participate in, a world where up is down? First is last, less is more, enemies are loved, giving beats receiving, the humble are exalted, and leading means serving. And so this idea of the wisdom of infants over and against the worldly and the religious leads to the final wisdom this morning of our text, and that's gospel wisdom. Let's let's read again Jesus' closing words in verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first thing to note here is that when Jesus calls us to rest, he doesn't offer us a hammock. He offers us a yoke. He offers us a vocation. And that's because Jesus' call to come and rest is not a call to laziness or, or apathy or irresponsibility. His yoke is not easy or light because the way has already been safely paved and there's little to do. Matthew's gospel makes that abundantly clear that discipleship often brings incredible hardship. But the gospel wisdom of this passage shows us that the way to faith and rest is ultimately obedience. Gospel wisdom is a wisdom that acts. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And so what we find here is that gospel wisdom is simplified. Gone is the liquefied wisdom of the world. Gone is the calcified wisdom of religion. And here is the gospel wisdom that cuts through, that yokes us to the simple task of following Jesus Christ. To the simple task of doing what is truly important. And Jesus points this out. Again, in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These are the weightier matters of the law. But, but even if they're weightier, that, do, that means that the yoke has to be easier. Jesus has to give us a light burden. He simplifies it, and that is the wisdom of following him. Because church, we know the Ten Commandments. We've read the Sermon on the Mount. We've heard Jesus' teachings. We know what to do. Jesus says, go and do likewise. He says, love your neighbor. He says, lift a finger for their burdens. He says, love God in word and in deed. And so as, as one commentator says, the yoke of Jesus is easy and his burden is light because it is the way of God and it is profoundly satisfying to the human soul. I had coffee with Jim Dvorak earlier this week uh, who did our elder moment this morning. And if you haven't met Jim, uh, he usually introduces himself as an Iowa farm boy who lives in Oklahoma. Uh, because that's where he's from, and uh, you know he grew up in Iowa on a farm doing all that kind of labor. And I think he introduces himself that way because underneath um, all of the, the degrees and intelligence and um, hats that he wears, he is still an Iowa farm boy. 
And he said that every now and then he gets to go back to his, his childhood farm where his parents still live, and he gets to return to that work from his childhood, to return to the, the rhythms of the labor of his father's house. And, and he was saying, you know, that even though the work is actually hard, it's not easy per se, there, there is a comfort to it. And there is a beauty to returning to these rhythms of his father's house and working with his brother and his father and doing this work that is simple and good. You know, he, he didn't say this, but I have a hunch that as someone who works with theoretical ideas all the time and linguistic analysis and all these things, I have to assume that there is something deeply restful and satisfying about returning to these simple rhythms. And so, church, I want to leave us with one final thought this morning. Uh, but it's, it's perhaps the most important one. Um, you might know or you might have inferred that a yoke is, is basically just a wooden bar that typically connects two oxen together as they're working. And so the truth is that when we yoke ourselves to Jesus Christ, we find that gospel wisdom is not only simplified, but gospel wisdom is crucified. Unlike the Pharisees who laid great burdens on people and refused to lift a finger, Jesus lifted far, far more than a finger when we yoked ourselves to him. And he did that by bearing our sin on the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore the burden of the entire world. You know, there is no atlas. There is only Jesus with the world and that wood bearing the yoke together. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than strength. John Howard Yoder said that people who bear crosses are working with the grain of the universe. I want to work with the true grain of the universe, church. And so if you, if you haven't received the rest that works with the grain of the universe, that works with the word, the wisdom of God, then I want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this morning.